You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash, Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, July 8th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, I'm going to present a conversation that I had with Chris Williams, the co-writer and director of a new animated movie called The Sea Beast. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com. And yes, today is just going to be uh, me and Chris Williams talking about his new movie, which is on Netflix right now. Uh, Chris Williams is the... Uh, director of a an underrated animated movie called Bolt that came out in 2008. He also directed uh, Big Hero 6 for Walt Disney Pictures. He co-directed Moana. So you've seen his stuff for sure. Um, he also <laughs> he voices uh, the character of Oaken in the Frozen uh, universe, the Frozen films. So, uh, you know, he also has a little bit of uh, acting experience under his belt there as well. Um, the Sea Beast is set in a world of uh, monster hunters, sea monster hunters specifically, um, who 
who you know sail the seven seas and go out and find these giant creatures and there's very much a uh, like captain ahab uh, moby dick element to one of the characters who is voiced by jared harris um the the voice cast in this is great carl urban is one of the lead roles uh, dan stevens is in here as well um so it's definitely some voices that you'll recognize and it's about this young girl who stows away on this ship of monster hunters and she basically sort of becomes friends with uh one of the um i guess uh like the first mate or one of the the main people on this ship and uh, they learn lessons about what's really going on and the nature of these creatures and um, it's all you know a, a very rollicking sort of family friendly um, action adventure type of story so I wanted to have Chris on the podcast to ask him a bunch of questions about like the big ideas that this movie digs into and um, we talk a little bit about the the shadow of how to train your dragon which I, I feel like is a very sort of similar premise kind of thing um, we get into uh, the decision-making process behind like the, the actual look and aesthetics of this movie and, and the, the um, sort of intentionality behind some of the shots and things like that. So uh, yeah, I think it's a, a good chat and uh, definitely a great family movie if you're just like looking for something to, uh, to kill some time this weekend with, with the family or, or with um, younger siblings or something like that. Um, th- there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of heart, a lot of um, a cool sort of like adventure-y uh, set pieces and things like that in, in this movie. So it's called The Sea Beast. It's on Netflix right now. And here is my chat with Chris Williams. So the CBS is engaging with some really big ideas, and one of them is the notion of questioning the establishment and actually interrogating our history because things aren't often as clear-cut as they seem. So can you talk a little about the approach to incorporating that idea into this story? Yeah, that was definitely one of the, the, the big thematic ideas that we wanted to take on in the story. Um, we have three generations of hunters uh, in the movie. Um, and, and the, the youngest member is embodied by the youngest of the hunters is embodied by, uh, Maisie Brumble. And, and she is someone because she's younger, she has a little bit more, she's a little more nimble in her thinking, a little more adaptable. And so she's a character that is, is driven, uh, towards what she thinks is right, but her sense of what is right and wrong changes dramatically over the course of the story. And she's able to to make that intellectual and philosophical shift. And she ends up kind of dragging some of the other other generations along with her. I think there's probably a truth to that, that younger people are a little more adaptable, maybe a little bit more quick to empathize. And as you get get to empathize with other points of view, and I think as you get older, you start to get a little more fixed and rigid in your your framework and your sense of things. And it's harder to to break break that down. Uh, so that was something that we definitely wanted to um, explore um, in the course of the story, uh, and 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 you know coexisting with that, this idea that sometimes people will manufacture a truth um, uh, for their own benefit, uh, and 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 keep people afraid uh, so as to uh, stay in power. Um, th- those were th- some of the sort of thematic ideas that were sort of residing under the surface, I would say. Another topic the film grapples with is like this idea of um, like finding a way to de-escalate an ongoing war and learning to coexist with a population that you've been pitted against. I can't imagine where you got the idea to weave that into this. I mean, it's not remotely relevant at all to anything we're going through right now. That was something that, boy, in a way it was like, it's, it, we, we, didn't, we didn't necessarily want to have this much resonance. You know what I mean? Like, it was. It was. Very, it's been heartbreaking. Some of the some of the news that we've all been sort of um, the, the, some of the some of the things going on around the world have been just devastating. 
Um, and uh, but the movie has a point of view on those things. And and uh, and and so you hope in some small way as an artist that that you can make a difference and you can give people um, uh, some uh, a framework to help absorb ideas and 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 perhaps even change some minds. And and so that is your your sort of humble um, hope as as an artist. So in the past, you've talked about being inspired to make this rollicking adventure movie uh, in the vein of things like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or uh, the original King Kong. But I'm curious about pirate-centric movies specifically. Are, are there any of those that were influential for you while putting this together? Well, there were certainly pirate stories. Um, the, the Treasure Island story was one that really struck a chord with me as a kid and and one that I've reread over the years and, and, and read quite a few times in the course of making the story, just to kind of, it was this sort of a true North as far as the tone. Right. And even like the, 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 um, the, the, the tenor of the, the, the language, the, the, the personality of the language um, was so specific. And that's something I wanted to kind of emulate um, for, for the sea beast. Um, so I think tre- treasure Island. And there was, when I was a kid, there was no internet. So the, the uh, the library was my internet, and I would go to the the library uh, as much as I could, and I would go to I knew exactly where this one book called Pirates was, and I'd go straight for it and check it out every single time. And I can really picture the cover. There was a guy uh, leaning over the side of the ship, um, uh, uh, and with with an eye patch, of course, and uh, and 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 there was something that I loved about that image, and I and and so. Th- those those stories certainly uh, resonated with me. How much do the How to Train Your Dragon movies loom over a project like this? Is that um, is that something you like actively think about while writing? No, I mean the 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 guy who directed um, the the three films, uh, Dean DeBlois, Chris Sanders, and Dean directed the first one, and Dean directed the next two. He's a very close friend of mine, and uh, and so perhaps on some uh, unconscious level, it's it's not far from my mind. Um, but I, I, it, it was never one that we discussed in the story room. Um, I think the movie probably bears a much closer resemblance to, to King Kong than it does a How to Train Your Dragon. There's probably a tendency on um, people's parts to, to lump together animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think that, that there's only a surface resemblance ultimately uh, to those films, even though I'm a, I'm a big admirer of them. One of the things that really struck me while watching all these incredible shots of the ships on the water was how much more freedom you must have to move the camera on an animated pirate film than you would if you were to make this in live action. Can you tell me about composing the shots for this? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. You know, I, I work with people who are so good at what they do and and the, the design of the ship, the execution of the ship to me is is a small miracle. Uh, and, and And I have to give credit to the crew, because, you know, it's easy for me to say, I want it to be this, this amazing shit that feels fully realized and very plausible and, and all that stuff. And they're the ones that have to actually design it and execute it. Um, and I was the great beneficiary of that. And I work with people who are really masters at, 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 at shot design and, and placing cameras and we interact with each other. And, and so I, again, I, I, I give credit to the, the camera team that, that I was working with. And, and um, there, there was, there's, we definitely wanted the movie to feel, we want to take it up a notch as far as it being a really sort of rich and cinematic experience. And we wanted the, the battle scenes to be very immersive and very visceral. Um, and, and we did have the ability to kind of um, move the camera around in ways that you might not 
um, if you're really lugging a big cam around on a ship like that. Um, but at the same time, you have to be careful um, because, because if, if, if you just move the camera around willy nilly, it, it breaks the spell because people kind of know what, what they've, they've, they've become accustomed to the a sense of what a camera can do and what it can't do. And there's a, there's a, there's a certain language uh, to the cameras that people, that people understand. And if you just start making the cameras zoom around all over the place in a way that would be really impossible, it starts to break the spell a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you want, in a sense, to understand what the limitations are of an actual camera and then kind of flirt with that line a little bit. Maybe cross over a little bit, make sure you don't just flutter off into the into things that are not, not possible mm-hmm. for, for practical cameras uh, and then come on back because it just makes the, it makes the world feel more grounded when the cameras feel more grounded. Yeah, I really got the sense of a person making a decision, like a, the, the personality of the person behind each of these shots. It doesn't just feel like, okay, here's a wide shot, here's an insert shot, here, you know, like typical kind of uh, what you would expect a sitcom to look like or something. It really just feels, um, you feel the intentionality behind all of this stuff and it comes across really well. Yeah, we absolutely, um, we, we it, everything in an, in animation is is a choice right nothing just happens and and so uh, there's a lot of deliberate discussion and decision making about things like that and uh and we do think in terms of uh, of the the camera being a, a physical thing in in a in a physical world um and and so the camera operator the way we discuss it it's i hadn't really thought about it too much before but we really do discuss it in terms of you're hanging off the side of the ship. So it has more of a handheld feeling. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we start to, the characters become real, the places become real and the cameras become real to us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that's, that I think a lot makes, that keeps you in check a little bit. Um, and, and again, keeps you from just placing cameras willy nilly to know that there are certain restrictions. And it also allows the personality, as you said, the personality of the camera operator to inform the scene as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have we work with people who are very passionate about cinema, cinema history, um, and 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 people will, will articulate shots that they partic- that they love, uh, filmmakers that they love, and that they're influenced by, and it'll find its way into the movie. I'm continually fascinated by how incredible animation has become in recent years to the point like where the water and a lot of the environments here look totally photoreal. There are obviously an infinite number of animation styles out there and decisions that you could have made about uh, the, the way to depict this world. So tell me about the decision to give the environments that photo real quality and then also the characters, the, the human characters, the look that they have. Yeah, I think that the one of the decisions you make early on is the level of caricature, right? And so animation, it's, it's, a, it's a very wide spectrum. You can make things that almost feel convincingly photoreal you can also make things that are really pushed and and bouncy and fun and so at that end of the spectrum you've got things like the hotel transylvania movies and and the the cloud of the chance of meatball movies that where that style of animation is perfectly lends itself to those stories um and so we needed to figure out where we were in that spectrum and and i had said early on that i wanted this movie more than anything else i've ever worked on to feel very plausible and immersive and create a world that you feel has a history to it um, and, and a world that is complete. And, and so we, we talked about movies like Blade Runner. We talked about um, uh, Game of Thrones series, Lord of the Rings, 
movies where in the sets and in the language and in the costumes and everywhere you look, there was a, there was a sense of a complete world with a history. Um, and so knowing that it kind of guided us away from being really extremely um, uh, bouncy and broad. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you didn't want it to be so tight and restrictive that, that it wasn't fun and playful or joyful, you know? So we, we found this place kind of in the middle, but, but leaning a little bit more towards um, a grounded reality because mm-hmm. we, I think because I wanted for this movie, because it was an, an action adventure story, primarily, we wanted to feel stakes and peril. We wanted to feel danger. Um, we wanted to feel that people could be hurt. And, and so that sort of nudged us a little bit more towards that end of the spectrum, as far as the level of caricature in the design, um, but also in the, in the, in the, in the animation, right. Cause those two things do need to um, speak to each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's where, that's what ultimately dictated for us uh, the story and the tone dictated the, the style of the, of the look and the animation. I think I have time for one more question. So I want to get granular with you for a second. Uh, from a writing perspective, how do you come up with the character names? Uh, Jacob Holland, Maisie Brumble, how many permutations of names you go through and how do you land on these ultimately? That's such a funny question because we, because when we debate names or try to decide whether our name's good or not, it's, it's, it's so subjective. You can't say why you think a name is good. And especially when naming monsters, right? Um, the, uh, the, there were some, some yellow creatures that were in, actually were named at one point in the script and they were, they're not named anymore, but they were named the yellow warmblers. <laughs> and when I come up with a name like the yellow warmblers, I'm not in a really great position of defending why that's the name. It's just a name that I made up and now you all have to say it, you know? And, and, uh, and so it becomes it becomes a very, a very uh, funny thing because we will will we will sit in a room and 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 say character names or or creature names, um, and we'll all sort of in very subjectively, somewhat arbitrarily decide what we think um, sounds good or doesn't, um, and uh, and and I can't really give any stronger defense or or justification or rationale beyond that. And I'm afraid I, I don't know. I don't know that I, I can. I don't have a, I don't know if I have a great answer other than it just it's what is it summary to your ear? And you know that that what if I'm naming something, whether it's a character or a creature, it always sounds dumb initially. And then it starts to become this thing that always was. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, like like I don't know, did Luke Skywalker ever sound like a dumb name? Because it sounds <laughs> like it sounds amazing to me when he first proposed Luke Skywalker, did that sound dumb to people? Like, I don't know, but it's, but, but it starts to become this thing that always was. And and then, and you, you have these associations that come with it and then you just love it. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, again, congrats on the movie. All right. Thank you. All right, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find more about The Sea Beast at SlashFilm.com. We actually have a bunch of articles uh, written up, and I think BJ Colangelo actually spoke with Chris uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, so you can read her interview with him where they covered a whole bunch of different topics and stuff like that as well. Um, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. 
Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Keep your walls and trim protected while you paint with Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. It's designed for use on multiple surfaces and can be removed easily without leaving residue behind. Save big on Scotch Blue Painter's Tape from Menards. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big.